Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka and Tabisolo Hoku. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. The COVID-19 pandemic is a crisis unlike any in our lifetimes and this year's United Nations General Assembly will be a session unlike any other. The National Funeral Practitioners Association of South Africa says that funeral services will resume today. And in economics news, Namibia's domestic monthly inflation increased to 0.4% in August from 0.2% the previous month. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thanks, Lulu. Good morning. South Africa's health sector intends to increase testing for the coronavirus to help identify and contain a potential second wave of infections. The country has recorded over 653,000 coronavirus cases since the start of the outbreak, of which 584,000 have recovered. Over 15,000 people have died from COVID-19-related illnesses. South Africa is now recording a steady decline in new infections. Addressing the nation last night, President Cyril Ramaphosa announced the moving of the country to level one lockdown. We have now taken a decision to keep increasing coronavirus testing. Due to the decline in new infections and the reduced pressure on our health facilities, we now have sufficient testing capacity to expand the criteria for testing. Among the categories of people we will now be able to test are all those who are admitted to hospital with COVID symptoms and individuals who have been in close contact with confirmed cases, whether or not they themselves have symptoms. Sudan has arrested 41 people and seized a large amount of explosives big enough to blow up the capital Khartoum, according to authorities. The materials included ammonium nitrate, the same chemical that caused a deadly explosion in Lebanon in August. Intelligence gathered since August on the movements of terrorist groups led to the arrests. Sudan has been led by a transitional government which took power months after the April 2019 ouster of President Omar al-Bashir. Libya's internationally recognized Prime Minister Fayez al-Sarraj says he wants to quit by the end of October in a move that analysts say could feed political tensions in Tripoli amid new efforts to find a political solution to the country's conflict. Citing the work of UN-sponsored talks in Geneva, he pointed to progress in agreeing a way to unify Libya's fragmented state and prepare for elections. Sarraj is head of the Government of National Accord, GNA, based 
based in Tripoli, while eastern Libya and much of the south is controlled by Khalifa Haftar's Libyan National Army, the LNA. The civil war has drawn in regional and international powers with the United Arab Emirates, Egypt and Russia backing the LNA and Turkey supporting the GNA. The Egyptian government has sent a military aircraft equipped with medical supplies and food staff to Sudan to aid those affected by the devastating floods. This is part of the directives of the Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. The Sudanese officials expressed gratitude for the continuing Egyptian aid, which played a major part to mitigate the devastating outcomes of the floods, stating that such gesture reflects Egypt's concern of African and Arab brotherly nations. Sudan has been struck by floods on August 14, caused by heavy rainfall in late July. The floods affected over 180,000 across states. Tropical storm Sally has left over half a million Americans without power as its torrential rains abandoned the U.S. Gulf Coast. Sally made landfall as a Category 2 hurricane yesterday, but the storm continues to lash the states of Alabama and Florida. The storm is believed to have killed one person in Alabama. In sports, the former head of global athletics, Lamine Diak, has been found guilty by a French court of corruption in covering up Russian doping cases and sentenced to four years in prison, of which two years were suspended. Diak, an 87-year-old Senegalese who led the International Association of Athletics Federation, IAAF, now renamed World Athletics from 1999 to 2015, who has also fined 947,000 U.S. dollars. Diak says he would immediately lodge an appeal. His son, Papa Masata Diak, a former marketing consultant for the IAAF, who was tried in absentia because Senegal refuses to extradite him, was sentenced to five years in prison and fined 1 million euros. The prosecution alleged that Diak obtained 1.5 million US dollars of Russian funds in exchange for the IAAF's anti-doping arm covering up or delaying offences by 23 Russians, allowing them to compete in the 2012 London Olympics and the 2013 World Athletics Championships in Moscow. And Glenn Maxwell and Alex Carey both hit brilliant hundreds as Australia sold a dramatic series win over world champions England in the third one-day international at Old Trafford. Australia, chasing a target of 303, were all but out of the game at 73 for 5 when Maxwell came to the crease. But an Australia record sixth wicket stand of 212 between Kerry 106 and Maxwell 108 helped give the Tories a 2-1 success as England suffered their first home ODI series defeat in five years. Earlier, Johnny Bestow had uh, revived England from the depths of uh, 0-2 with a superb 100 that saw them to 302 for 7 after the opener washed uh, from the other end as left-arm quick Michelle Stuck removed Jason Roy and test captain Joe Root with the first two balls of the game. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaka. Headlines at 7.30. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. perspective. 
Thank you, Amanda. It's 7.08 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The COVID-19 pandemic is a crisis unlike any in our lifetimes, and this year's United Nations General Assembly will be a session unlike any other. That was the message from the UN Secretary General as he previewed some of the focus areas for the organization ahead of the annual high-level week, which starts on Monday, that will largely be a virtual event due to the pandemic. In a year that marks the 75th anniversary of the global organization, UN member states will adopt a declaration committing to a reinvigorated multilateralism in a world that needs cooperation and consensus more than ever. A high-level week unlike any we've experienced in the history of the organization, with the General Assembly debate largely being held virtually with limited representatives from each member state allowed in the room. Diplomacy, to be effective, requires personal contact. The Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, lamented the lack of in-person contacts during what is the UN's annual signature event. I myself am very sorry that we are not going to have, knowing that there are costs associated, I'm very sorry that we are not going to have the opportunity to bring together leaders of countries and that to be able to, uh, for all those involved in conflicts like the Libya conflict or like the uh, Yemeni conflict or uh, 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 any other one, or uh, leaders that have a lead, a, an important uh, initiative in, in key areas, be it uh, in relation to climate change, be it in relation to uh, fight against racism, in relation to gender equality, that we are not able to bring them together. We'll do several virtual meetings with heads of states in different areas that are very relevant for us. But we will miss that contact, that uh, personal contact that I believe is very important. Under the theme, the future we want, the UN we need, reaffirming our collective commitment to multilateralism while confronting COVID-19. This is also the moment when the international community needs to come together to defeat the virus. Many pin their hopes on a vaccine. But let's be clear, there is no panacea in a pandemic. A vaccine alone cannot solve this crisis, certainly not in the near term. We need to massively expand new and existing tools that can respond to new cases and provide vital treatment to suppress transmission and save lives, especially over the next 12 months. But starting now, a vaccine must be seen as a global public good because COVID-19 respects no borders. We need a vaccine to be affordable and available to all. A people's vaccine. While advancing the Sustainable Development Goals and its financing, gender equality, nuclear non-proliferation, biodiversity and climate change among the key areas of focus in the days ahead, as the UN chief explained. Greenhouse gas concentrations reached new record highs in 2020. The Northern Hemisphere has just experienced its hottest summer on record. The world is burning and recovery is our chance to get on track and tame the flames. Recovery must be aligned with the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Recovery must be green, subsidizing fossil fuels, 
and building out polluting and bailing out polluting industries means locking in bad patterns for decades to come. Recovery must advance gender equality, and recovery requires effective multilateralism. While peace remains elusive in far too many hotspots around the world, that of course in the context of silencing the guns in Africa by 2020, and efforts to implement the SG's call for a global ceasefire that received backing from the Security Council in July. And while roots of optimism exist in places like South Sudan and Afghanistan, the arenas of Syria, Libya, Ukraine and others offer a bleak picture of a world steeped in deep distrust and where narrow national interests continue to undermine the collective good. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has warned that the country needs to guard against a second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic as it moves to Alert Level 1 of the nationwide lockdown. Alert Level 1 will come into effect from early Monday morning, the 21st of September. It will see the easing of restrictions on public gatherings with 250 people now being allowed to attend indoor gatherings and 500 people for outdoor gatherings. The number of People attending funerals is also increased to 100, while night vigils are still not permitted. Debo Mukobo reports. From the 12,000 infections a day two months ago to now less than 2,000 cases a day, and with a recovery rate of 89%, President Cyril Ramaphosa says the country is slowly turning the tide against the COVID-19 pandemic. There has been a gradual but steady decline in new infections hospitalizations and deaths. Demand for hospital beds, ventilators, oxygen and other essential medical requirements has also reduced steadily. We have succeeded in overcoming the worst phase of this epidemic while protecting the capacity of our health system. And he has announced that South Africa will now move to alert level one of the nationwide lockdown effectively from Tuesday morning the 21st of September. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, provincial, local government, traditional leaders, and drawing on the advice of scientists and engagements with various stakeholders, Cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. And the president says this is what alert level one will entail among others. Social, religious, political and other gatherings will now be permitted as long as the number of people does not exceed 50% of the normal capacity of a venue or the facility. But this must only be to a maximum of 250 people for indoor gatherings and 500 people for outdoor gatherings. The maximum number of people who may attend a funeral is increased from 50 to 100 due to the higher risk of viral transmission at funerals. Night vigils are still not permitted. Gyms and theatres will now be allowed to operate at 50% capacity, while alcohol sale is now permitted from Monday to Friday from 9 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon. The curfew has also been eased and now will be enforced from midnight to 4 in the morning. 
International travels are also allowed but with strict conditions. Travel may be restricted to and from certain countries that have high infection rates. A list of those countries will be published. Travelers will only be able to use one of the land border posts that have remained operational during the lockdown or one of the three main airports, King Shaka International, OR Tambo International and Cape Town International Airports. On arrival, travelers will need to present a negative COVID-19 test results not older than 72 hours from the time of departure from whence they will have come from. And to avoid reverting back to the days of stringent lockdown regulations, President Ramaphosa says South Africans must continue to follow safety protocols of wearing masks, washing or sanitizing their hands and keep social distancing. I am Tebumokobo in Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, Cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, also called COVID-19, for Channel Africa from Planta in Malawi, I am George Mohango. Washing your hands with soap and water or using alcohol-based hand rub kills viruses that may be on your hands. At 7.18 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The National Funeral Practitioners Association of South Africa says that funeral services will resume today. That's after many funeral homes have been on a three-day nationwide strike since Monday. Undertakers say the government has made it difficult for smaller and emerging parlors to grow. They also disapprove of regulations that require a certificate of comp- competency to move bodies and dig graves. Horisana Sitol has more. The funeral business has been on hold since Monday and bodies have been piling up at some mortuaries. Living grieving families stranded. Undertakers are protesting over their working conditions and over procedures and regulations that they say make it hard for small black-owned parlors to operate and it gives big players an advantage. Among their grievances is the requirement for certificate of competency to move bodies. One of the country's well-known service providers, Afbob, didn't shut down. Afbob CEO Carl van der Reed says, They've been threatened and intimidated and had to shut down some of their branches. He says, in one incident, protesting funeral undertakers allegedly hijacked the corpse they were transporting to their morgue. He says, the body was dropped off at the nearby government mortuary. 
the National Funeral Practitioners Association of South Africa, is accusing established pilots of colluding with the government and has threatened to shut them down. The association says it has already met with the Department of Home Affairs and will continue talking to stakeholders. Nafuba President Musilema explains. We want to assure our communities that as from tomorrow, everything is back to normal. Uh, we apologize where things had went wrong. Uh, we are happy uh, that now we will be able to service them again. Uh, but should these other departments not come to a party, we will be forced again to go back to a strike and it will this time come as a matter of immediate effect because we are putting it down to allow negotiations between ourselves and the rest of the departments. Undertakers say everything will be back to normal today. The National Federal Practitioners Association of South Africa will later this week hold a briefing on the impact of the strike. That report by Horisani Sitole. At 7.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The South African government has published a draft code of good practice on the prevention and elimination of violence and harassment in the workplace. The code, published by Employment and Labour Minister Tula Singlesi, applies to all business sectors, both public and private, across all regions of the country. It covers a number of areas, including sex harassment and online bullying. For more on this issue, we are now joined on the line by Mbali Ngosi, associate at law firm Weber Wenzel. Mbali, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lily, and good morning to your listeners. Now, Mbali, briefly explain how this draft policy came about and what it seeks to achieve. Well, the draft code itself seeks to set out a framework on the interpretation of the implementation of the Employment Equity Act regarding the prevention and elimination of violence and harassment in the workplace. And its main purpose is to provide guidelines to employers and employees and other parties on the issue of violence and harassment in the workplace. It is also to guide human resource policies and practices related to violence and harassment in the workplace. Now, sexual harassment in the workplace is a well-documented problem. In practical terms, how exactly does the policy seek to address it? Right, absolutely. Now, we already have a uh, a code of good practice for the prevention of sexual harassment in workplaces, um, and that deals specifically with sexual harassment. This particular draft code seeks to introduce, or rather broaden the definition of violence and harassment as a form of unfair discrimination. What will happen is, if an employee complains about a conduct, either violence or harassment, um, that has been perpetrated against them, the employer has a duty to investigate um, that particular complaint. And if that complaint is not investigated in terms of the Employment Equity Act, as well as the, the draft code, then the employer can be held vicariously liable for the act of that perpetrator. Now, Mbali, let's talk about uh, online bullying. How rife is it in the workplace and how does it manifest? Well, at the moment, and, and I believe that is the reason why it has been included in the draft code, it is extremely rife and it's one of those that can't be detected because 
um, you know, the, 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 the explanation is, well, but this is not a workplace, you know, it's, it's a cyberspace. Um, and that's what this code does. It, it broadens that definition and says anything where there's a link with the workplace. Um, we may not be in the physical building itself, but if we are harassing each other on, um, um, on social networks, then this code will apply. Um, and so that's where we see that shift, in, and I believe that this draft code is very progressive in that regard. Now, what are some of the other workplace-related problems worth noting which are covered by the policy code? Okay, so these include sexual violence, as you already highlighted, um, racial, ethnic, and social origin violence and harassment, workplace bullying, as well as violence and harassment on account of a protected disclosure. Now, Mbali, you know, sometimes things, uh, policies are, you know, made up, uh, drafted. But uh, in terms of this draft policy uh, being in place, what is the next step for actual interventions to the problems uh, we have identified? Well, I certainly think, you know, because at this moment, this draft code is out for public comment. Um, I certainly think that once it is um, implemented, um, employers who do not adhere to it or do not follow its guidelines will certainly be in trouble um, um, and will be investigated um, by, by the Department of Employment and Labor on any complaints that employees make. Um, and, and, and also this, this draft code you know, spans more to, the, to just employer versus employee relationship. It also applies to volunteers it applies to job seekers and, and, and those who are coming in for interviews. And so we find that there are going to be a lot of people who, who if they are um, negatively impacted or harassed in the workplace, you know, we have more people who are eyes and ears who will be able to, to, to complain to the relevant um, parties. How significant is this move for the country? Absolutely. I think this is extremely progressive because as we've seen the rates of gender-based violence in this country and to see that, uh, you know, the, the Department of Employment and Labor has taken a step to ensure that there is some protection in the workplace, I think it is extremely progressive. Mbali, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Lili. That's Mbali Associate at Weber Wenzel, a leading South African law firm, joining us on the line. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. 
By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown. A global pandemic, COVID-19. Several countries have scaled up their responses and put in place strict controls, including South Africa. Channel Africa Broadcasting from South Africa will continue to bring you news and current affairs during this period whereby a 21-day lockdown is effective. We will keep you updated and informed during this period as we bring you news and current affairs from an African perspective. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thanks, Lulu. Good morning. In the headlines, South Africa's health sector intends to increase testing for the coronavirus to help identify and contain a potential second wave of infections. The governor of Nigeria's northwestern Kaduna state, Nasir Ahmad El-Rufai, has signed a law providing stiff penalties for convicted rapists. And Sudan has arrested 41 people and seized a large amount of explosives big enough to blow up the capital Khartoum, according to authorities. Details at 8. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Amanda. It's 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. MasterCard and Zim Switch, Zimbabwe's national payment switch, have announced a partnership agreement to enable the modernization of Zimbabwe's payment infrastructure using MasterCard's technology, products and services. This partnership will further support the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe's vision of a modernized and interoperable payment system that supports inclusive economic growth and boosts the digital economy. Charlton Goredema, 
area head for Southern Africa and Indian Ocean at MasterCard joins us on the line to speak to us more about this partnership. Charlton, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Uh, good morning, Lulu, um, and good morning, listeners. Now, tell us more about this partnership and how it will enable consumers to use technology safely. Yes, Lulu, um, uh, these are exciting times for MasterCard and Institute in Zimbabwe, as well as uh, the banking industry. Um, this is really uh, the beginning of the partnership, and we are working with ZimSwitch and the partners to introduce some solutions into the market. Um, let me tell you briefly about uh, ZimSwitch as well. ZimSwitch is um, recently designated as the national switch in the country. Uh, they are leading payments technology company, and they offer fitness uh, payment experience um, to their customers. Um, and we are very proud to be in partnership with them. In this partnership, um, MasterCard will be providing um, technology, products and services that will enable the digital transformation uh, for partners. Here I mean uh, the banks, um, the telcos, the MFIs, um, all the financial service providers in the country. We will be uh, giving them uh, various products uh, through this partnership. Uh, we will also launch a co-branded um, contactless card program that features EMD uh, technology, which will enable safer, smarter, and more secure transactions in the country. Now, the partnership... Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Charlton, go ahead. Yeah, so the... The, the payments which will also introduce MasterCard digital payment solutions. Um, we'll also introduce a loyalty platform. Um, we'll be looking at fraud solutions to ensure that um, consumers' uh, transactions are protected, um, as well as um, all the financial institutions and merchants um, will protect them against criminality and fraud. Now, with this partnership, it's it's obviously set to benefit uh, uh, small businesses. Take us through, uh, you've highlighted some of the benefits already. Um, just take us through uh, the major ones that will be key for small businesses. Yeah, so for example, um, um, let's talk about e-commerce. Uh, we're going to provide an e-commerce platform um, through this usage platform, and the banks will be able to access this platform, which will enable small businesses um, to sell their, their goods and services online. Um, especially in this period um, um, post-COVID, a lot of people now are preferring to buy their goods and services online. Uh, we have um, the tourism industry in the country. Uh, we have people who, who are also participating in, um, in arts and crafts. Uh, they can actually sell all their products online uh, to, to local in, international markets just to give an example. And when does the partnership come into effect? So we have just consummated the partnership um, in the last couple of months, and uh, we've been busy working in the background, uh, putting together um, all the technology, master technology behind the switch, and we'll be announcing new, new further developments in the near future. What's the reaction been like uh, from your potential client? Our clients are very excited. We, um, we are giving them a different customer experience. We are bringing innovation. We are assisting the country by making sure that solutions 
which are normally available from very far away from the country will now be available locally. Um, so the customers themselves, we're getting a lot of good comments around, for example, the e-commerce platform. Um, they've not been able to access um, e-commerce platforms locally in the country. They have to go outside the country to do that. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of excitement that is coming through. Uh, there's a lot of um, expertise, knowledge, um, that will also transfer into the local customers, both in terms of um, operational, uh, the technology, uh, the products. Yeah, so there's a lot of excitement around this partnership. Well, Charlton, we look forward to uh, speaking to you uh, once uh, everything is up and running and, uh, you know, just to get further updates with regards to um, this innovative, uh, uh, you know, partnership that is coming into effect. Thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you, Alou. Thank you so much. Have a good day. And thank you. And to you. That was Charlton Goredema, area head for Southern Africa and Indian Ocean at Mastercard, joining us on the line. Bringing you your latest news on the novel coronavirus disease COVID-19. For Channel Africa, I'm Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Make sure you and people around you follow good respiratory hygiene. This means covering your mouth and nose with your bent elbow and tissue when you cough and sneeze. Then dispose the used tissue immediately. It's 7.37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Attempts by the Nigerian government to reorganize labor to agree with it on the rending of disagreements over hikes in prices of some essential items like petrol, VAT charges and electricity has hit a brick wall as uh, Labour says government should not pass the cost of its inefficiency on the citizens. At a meeting organised by the Minister of Labour and Employment, Labour told government to first reverse the increases before meaningful dialogue can ensure. Collins Atohengbe felt this report. The past few weeks have been most trying for the government as it makes continuous efforts to get the organized labor to see with it on the latest move to exert control over prices of petroleum products and electricity tariffs, which it claims has taken a great toll on the nation's meager earnings due to the COVID-19 induced economic crisis. Government had about three months ago introduced new price regime for all categories of petroleum products with pump prices of PMS rising from 125 to 162 naira per liter within three months. And and electricity tariff going up by almost a hundred percent hike. This is in addition to new VAT regime without due corresponding increases in wages, salaries, and allowances of the average worker. At the meeting, the Minister of Labor and Employment, Chris Ngike, Petroleum Resources Minister Timmy Priye Silva, and Power Minister Maman Sale took turns to explain why government had to approve the price hikes. We are all here to parley with you and have a robust interactive session in which we can tell ourselves some whole truth. And then we also take recommendations from you. Subsidy payment to marketers was a major source of corruption and underhand dealings. You all know that. Between 2016 and 2019, we were losing 10.4 trillion. Power costs 53 naira kilowatt hour as of last year. 
yet we were only allowing consumers to pay 33 naira per kilowatt hour. You can understand that this will not promote investment and has encouraged monopolies in the supply. After listening to the ministers attentively, President of the Trade Union Congress, Kaudry Olaleye, says government should rather backpedal on the new price regime because there are unexplained leakages in government financial management which needs to be explained before there can be any meaningful dialogue. We all know we're on the same page that the refineries are not working. Why are we pumping billions of naira for maintenance? Who is collecting it? The increase in fuel price, the increase in tariff of electricity, and all those things, sir, please reverse it and implement whatever you want to implement. By then, we'll listen to you, sir. Taking it up from the points observed by the TUC president, his counterpart of the Nigerian Labour Congress, Ayuba Wahab, says government should not pass the bill of its inefficiency to the citizens. We have said time without number that those issues that constitute the price is part of the inefficiency in our system. So fundamentally, what is required is for us to address this issue. And I agree with you. The president said, no, subsidy is a fraud. I agree that is a fraud. And if it's a fraud, do we address it or do we transfer it to the customers? That is where the issue is. The issue was one of the complaints by the Joint Health Service Workers Union, Joheso, as it commenced a warning strike to get government to honor agreements reached between it and members, some of who are yet to be paid their outstanding allowances and salaries. Josiah Bill Belmoye says, the price hikes had further increased hardship faced by the poor masses in Nigeria. Joesu condemns the insensitive deregulation of fuel prices, the introduction of stamp duties to be paid to Federal Inland Revenue Services, FIRS, by tenants in properties and the hike in the electricity tariff, which all combine to bring further hardship and depression to the doorsteps of citizens. Stakeholders under the aegis of Joesu urged the government to ameliorate the pains of Nigerians and improve quality of health care for optimal outcomes in public interest. Trying to impress the Labour Minister's guests with a level of depletion in government's any, the Accountant General of the Federation, Idris Ahmed, says there has been a sharp drop in the revenue generation projections of the government. In January, we were able to realize only 18% of the projected revenues. In February, it was 51. From March upwards, it came down to an average of 18%. The delay in responding to the agreement signed between government and members of the Joint Health Service Workers Union, Johesu, and Resident Doctors Association has ignited a strike which is slowly catching on in the health sectors across the country. Johesu's leader, Josiah Bill Belemoye, says these agreements, which were concluded in April 2020, has yet to be implemented. These lingering welfare challenges are review of implementation of COVID-19 special inducement and hazard allowance, payment of all withheld salaries of members, adjustment of co-health salary structure, implementation of ADR consent judgments. The Federal Ministry of Health has been playing childish tricks with the implementation of COVID-19 inducement allowances, which was originally designed to replace the payment of 5,000 hazard allowance across board to all health workers, with a 50% basic salary of these personnel on April 21st, 2020. From the stance of government, based on the explanations given by a number of government officials, including the Vice President Yomi Simbancho and the Minister for Information, Lai Mohammed, as well as the body language of President Buhari, there could be a long group to pull before truce can be reached if the present mode of the affected workers' unions 
is anything to go by. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosato him for Channel Africa News. South Africa has returned work has resumed work on one of its COVID-19 vaccine trials that was recently put on hold. The research from the experimental trial developed by Oxford University and pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca had also been halted in Brazil and the United Kingdom after one of the UK participants had an adverse reaction. Prabhashni Mudli reports. The UK leg of the AZD-1222 vaccine resumed over the weekend. A press statement released by the University of Oxford said the pause in the trial had been necessary to allow the review of safety data by an independent committee. This week, the vaccine trials resumed in Brazil and South Africa. Vice President for Research at the South African Medical Research Council, Professor Jeffrey Impatlele, says they're in close contact with more than 1,800 participants. The vaccine trials are still ongoing, and, and we are delighted. Co-sponsor of one of the trials in South Africa, uh, the Oxford uh, trial, they resumed the trials. They have recruited uh, almost uh, all the participants with the decline in the prevalence of um, SARS-CoV-2 in South Africa. Uh, it might be that um, the force of infection will be less, and this might impact on how soon we can actually know the results of the efficacy. The National Department of Health this week revealed that another ministerial advisory committee had been created to focus on coronavirus vaccine development. Mpatlele says the committee will advise the department on all matters pertaining to the rollout of a possible vaccine. It does not replace other ministerial advisory committee. There will be more announcements from the National Department of Health. It's more about issues related to securing coronavirus vaccine if it becomes available. Meanwhile, Wits University vaccinologist Professor Shabir Mahdi says even though the interruption of the vaccine trial was brief, scientists are only likely to determine if the vaccine protects against COVID-19 by the first quarter of next year. Currently, we've enrolled just over 1,800 of the 2,000 participants that we need to enroll into the study. And we're now following up those individuals to see who of them developed COVID-19, as well as to assess the safety of the vaccine. Neither the participants nor the investigators know whether the participants have received the vaccine or what is known as a placebo. We're wanting to do an analysis as to how the two groups differ to each other in terms of their attack rates with COVID-19, as well as in relation to any sort of medical events they might experience. South Africa is also currently in the initial phase of enrolling participants for the Novavax vaccine trial. This trial will leverage on technology used successfully to develop vaccines against the influenza virus. The major motivation for COVID-19 vaccines being trialled in South Africa is to see how well a vaccine, if successful, will work on the continent. Prabhashni Mudli, Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NEDLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that 
discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance, from an African perspective. At 7.49 Central African Time and our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoku. Good morning. As the South African Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee prepares to make a rate decision this afternoon, President Cyril Ramaphosa says many South Africans have benefited from the current low interest rate environment. Economists are split on whether the repo rate will be kept unchanged at 3.5% or if there is a small chance for a cut. Some economists expect the bank to reduce the lending rates by 25 basis points after the economy contracted by 51% in the second quarter. Another cut would put rates at the lowest point in decades. President Ramaphosa says that the recent rate cuts have helped many South Africans. Millions of South Africans have benefited from the historic reduction in the interest rates that have been announced by the central bank. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says that they've achieved a historical milestone with the social partners at the Nedlik Engagements to discuss how to grow the economy after the coronavirus pandemic. Nedlek this week announced that they had agreed on an action plan for economic recovery which is currently due for consideration and finalization with Cabinet. Ramaphosa says that the plan will be finalized in the coming weeks. It focuses on unemployment, a broadband spectrum auction and electricity generation. President Ramaphosa says that this is the first time government, labor, business and civil society have agreed on economic priorities at NEDLAC, which can resuscitate the economy. This represents a historic milestone for our country, demonstrating what can be achieved when we unite to confront an urgent crisis. Cabinet will build on this emerging common ground 
to finalize the country's economic reconstruction and recovery plan in the coming weeks. The reconstruction and recovery plan will be finalized, but it will also build on the 500 billion economic and social relief package we announced in April, which has provided vital support. The International Monetary Fund says it has approved immediate disbursement of 1 billion US dollars to Angola under an existing program and increased its total funding access by $765 million to help it grapple with the coronavirus pandemic. The IMF Executive Board's decision came after completion of a third review of Angola's 3.7 billion US dollar three-year program under the IMF's extended facility approved in December 2018. IMF Deputy Managing Director Anthony Sayer says that the West African country should continue its efforts to reach a market-clearing exchange rate and advance the restructuring of two public banks and urged it to remain vigilant about a public debt. Demand for windmills and agro-equipment in Zambia has increased as farmers look to enhance productivity through irrigation. Zam Capital Enterprise Limited is an agency under the Ministry of Defense and is the leading manufacturer of agro-processing equipment, water equipment and kitchenware and provides engineering and machining services. Company General Manager Henry Nyundu says that with farmers adopting irrigation coupled with high electricity tariffs, windmills, which use wind and mechanical power to perform specific tasks such as grinding grain or pumping water, are proving to be efficient. Chinese consumers are rushing to buy smartphones from Huawei Technologies, fearing curbs on the firm's access to U.S. technology will soon cut off production of its premium handsets. The U.S. government last year moved to prevent most American firms from conducting business with Huawei, saying the world's biggest maker of mobile telecommunications equipment and smartphones was ultimately answerable to the Chinese government. Huawei has repeatedly denied being a national security risk. The U.S. dollar is trading at a 383.93 Nigerian Nara, 11.30 Botswana Pula, 107.43 Kenyan Shilling and 90.91 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 5 rule 25 Russia, 74 rubles 94 India, 73 rupees 47. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.76 and in South Africa, it will cost you 16 rand 33. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,960 and platinum at $968 per ounce. Brent crude oil, $41.84 a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Molme, technical producer Murray Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za, WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327, or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Jamu Africa by Ismail Lowe. Have a great day and keep safe.
SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. In the news this hour, South Africa to increase coronavirus testing. Libya's Prime Minister Fayez al-Sarraj announces plans to quit and Egypt sends medical supplies to Sudan. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Amanda Machaka. South Africa's health sector intends to increase testing for the coronavirus to help identify and contain a potential second wave of infections. The country has recorded over 650,000 coronavirus cases since the start of the outbreak, of which 584,000 have recovered. Over 15,000 people have died from COVID-19-related illnesses. South Africa is now recording a steady decline in new infections, Addressing the nation last night, President Cyril Ramaphosa announced the moving of the country to level one lockdown. We have now taken a decision to keep increasing coronavirus testing. Due to the decline in new infections and the reduced pressure on our health facilities, we now have sufficient